It's certainly good to be home. And I just want to take a moment to thank you all for the kindness and hospitality that you've shown. I truly have felt um, cared for, um, how you've invited me into your homes and fed me. Um, and I want to thank you also for the opportunity to preach the word this morning. Um, so if you would, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. And let's read our text together. Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, I ask that you would help us this morning to, to catch a glimpse of your mind and how you have designed for us weapons to do the work you've called us to and the strategies that are contained in the scripture, we pray that you would transform us into your image, that we would be like an army of like-minded souls. We pray that you would help us to do this by your Holy Spirit this morning, richly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul sets forth both a divine directive and a strategy for attacking and demolishing all manner of false spiritual strongholds as we seek to proclaim the truth. Although the wisdom of the directive and strategy is from heaven, and therefore perfect, it is astonishing how few Christians ever thoroughly obey these before attempting to rebuild a proper knowledge of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, which is so important to obtaining heaven. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we must understand that 2 Corinthians 3 I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, only finds its proper outworking when used in concert with another essential duty. What do I mean by that? Well, according to the Bible, our job is twofold. Destroying false spiritual strongholds 
is only one aspect of our evangelistic duty. We must quickly replace them with true everlasting strongholds. Turn back with me in your Bibles a little ways to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And let's look at it together. You'll all recognize this text. Paul says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. In these two texts, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, and 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, we see both the ministry of demolition and the ministry of rebuilding. When you are preparing to lay a new foundation, there is only one cornerstone you can use. This second text, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, represents the supernatural brackets of our entire reconstruction enterprise. Evangelistically speaking, between verses 1 and 5, we live and move and have our being. The Apostle Paul identified our first bracket as Christ Jesus. The second bracket he identified as Him crucified. The Apostle Paul, with all of his gifts, understanding, and powers, did not dare venture outside of these sacred boundaries laid out by the Holy Spirit, and neither will we. These two texts are like two sides of the same coin. You cannot obey just one aspect in reaching the lost, or you will fail in both. As long as false spiritual strongholds remain viable and intact in people's thinking, there is absolutely no way to rebuild their thinking. A perfect example of this is found in John 8.24, when Jesus declared to the Jewish leaders, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. One false spiritual stronghold that ruled the minds of the Jewish leaders at the time of Christ and still today was the argument that the Messiah 
would be a conquering figure and not a dying one. Today, if you witness to Jews, you must first destroy this stronghold before you can build a proper understanding of how the Messiah had to die in order to pay for our sins. Our primary text, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, focuses on the demolition of these false spiritual strongholds. These spiritual strongholds we are certain to encounter while witnessing to people throughout our entire lives. We must be careful not to foolishly neglect nor exceed the Spirit's wisdom in this and somehow fail to help our fellow sinners find their way to Christ and heaven. Before engaging in evangelism, we must remember that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. People do not want to do battle with God. They do not want to do battle in his arena. They soon realize that their weapons are worthless against his power. Therefore, Satan and those you are witnessing will attempt to do two things. Number one, they will try to draw you out of his arena and into their own arena. God's arena being this, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And number two, they will try to get you to abandon the Holy Spirit's weapons and use your own or stop before the job is done. Our weapons are powerless against the false spiritual strongholds of the enemy. If you fall into these traps, you will be ineffective and you will not bear fruit. However, if you obey God and you remain in his arena and you use his weapons, you will be effective and you will bear fruit. Now, 2 Corinthians 2.15 through 16 says this. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. And to the other, the fragrance of life. Not everyone that you witness to is going to be saved. But as long as you are obedient to both of these principles, first demolishing false spiritual strongholds and then rebuilding with Christ Jesus, you will bear fruit unto God regardless of their obedience or disobedience. Now let's turn back to 2 Corinthians 10 three through five, and let's take a closer look at our text.
in verse 3, Paul says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The first phrase gives us some clues as to the nature of the world's arena and its weaponry. They are physical, they are fleshly in origin, and they are therefore limited to this world and limited in power. Fleshly weapons used to set up religion and keep souls bound in darkness on the negative side might come in the form of false religious systems, false doctrines, severe treatment of the body, self-denial, great warnings and threats, even physical violence against the people that they are seeking to subdue. But all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We are told not to fear such things. What does Matthew 10, 28 say? It says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Fleshly weapons used to set up religion and keep souls bound in darkness on the positive side might come in the form of promises of wealth. Doctrinal acceptance, idols beyond number, humanistic love, promises of power in the Holy Spirit, promises of elevation and stature, excitement, and freedom to think and do as you please. But this is what the Apostle Paul says to that in Philippians 3.17. For many, whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. They are not interested in helping people get to heaven. Many times in the past, those who claim to be servants of Christ have abandoned God's directives and instead enslaved men using weapons of the flesh to grow their influence and manipulate people's hearts. One has only to look at the unholy destruction of the inquisitions in France, Spain, and Rome which began in the 11th century to see what happens when people forsake God's perfect wisdom in conducting spiritual warfare. By the way, the Inquisitions raged for two centuries before they were finally abandoned. God only knows how many souls were destroyed by such fleshly weapons. In verse 4, 
of our text, Paul quickly asserts that the true Christian does not resort to such fleshly weapons or means to bring about God's ends. Even though we are walking in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. In other words, we do not employ the methods of the world to achieve victory for God. Because in fact, they can't. They only destroy people. The weaponry that God gives to his servants is contained in the scripture itself. It is divinely powerful and without equal on any battlefield. Paul goes on to say, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now every army wants superior weaponry when coming against the opposition. Well, Christians, we have it if we are wise enough to use it. In almost every account of the fall of Poland to Germany in 1939 is contained a famous video clip of the Polish cavalry bravely galloping into battle with swords against an entire division of German tanks armed with cannons. This is a perfect illustration of the kind of battlefield scenario one might imagine if a Christian foolishly chooses to arm himself with the weapons of the flesh. Paul says that our weaponry is of divine origin, it is of divine power, and it has a divine objective. What is that objective? The answer is at the end of verse 4. Let's look at it. To destroy false spiritual strongholds. He does not say to counter false spiritual strongholds. God is not interested in cracking, crippling, or countering these false spiritual strongholds of those who oppose him. The Greek term, katharasin, means to destroy or to utterly decimate. To tear down is the idea, to the last brick, to remove from existence. You see, it is only when these false spiritual strongholds cease to exist that the person or persons who oppose God can be persuaded of a better way. Simply cracking or crippling or countering a false, a false stronghold will not accomplish any lasting results. They will simply fall back, regroup, and return to fight another day. God's objective then, according to his word, is to utterly de 
destroy the opposition's false spiritual stronghold so that they can never again be used by those who take shelter in them. I want to repeat that. God's objective then, according to his word, is to utterly destroy the opposition's false spiritual stronghold so that they can never again be used by those who take shelter in them. Now, is that the strategy that you employ before telling men about Christ? Do you have reasonable assurance at the end of the battle that the strongholds that they were taking shelter in were completely decimated so that they can only now look to Christ. Just outside of Dorset, England, lies the remains of Corfe Castle. It was built by William the Conqueror in 1066. This fortress stood for over five centuries until the parliamentarians led by Oliver Cromwell besieged it in 1646. And after two months, the royalists surrendered. After it was captured, it was said, and I quote, the castle was slighted by explosives and aimed mainly at undermining its foundations in order to ensure that it could never again stand as a royalist stronghold, end quote. Oliver Cromwell, by the way, was reportedly a born-again Christian. He was also the first Prime Minister of England. It makes you wonder if Cromwell knew and understood 2 Corinthians 10 and was guided by its superior wisdom. Because he so completely and thoroughly decimated that stronghold not even a dog could find shelter in it. Because he wisely targeted the foundations of that stronghold, it was simply impossible to rebuild. And to this very day, it is nothing more than a pile of rubble. Do you have the picture? When you are witnessing to the lost, and you encounter spiritual strongholds in their thinking. Is this what the spiritual strongholds look like when you are finished using God's weapons against them? Then your work is not finished. When you look at this picture, do we begin to understand why Paul's ministry bore so much fruit and ours does not? Don't offend people. Don't talk too much about doctrine. Don't talk about sin. Talk about love. 
Is that how we destroy false spiritual strongholds and win true converts to Christ? You will make them two times more a child of hell than yourself. Okay, you can take the picture down. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of the Lord. We see that these divine weapons must be targeted precisely in order to obtain the desired results. They are aimed at spiritual speculations, illogical religious arguments, Lofty but unbiblical opinions, which, when held together, make up the fragile structure of their belief system. For instance, if you ask most Roman Catholics in our area, how do you get to heaven, they invariably state in one form or another, through good works. That's a false spiritual stronghold. Do you know how to employ God's divine weapons to utterly destroy that false spiritual stronghold? So that they can take, so that they can instead find refuge in a true spiritual stronghold? There's also a second element contained in verse 5. Look at it that sheds some further light on another aspect of our work as spiritual demolition experts. We read, taking every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. We have a duty to pursue false doctrines and imprison them behind bars made of sound doctrine so that they can never escape or break free again. The essence of the word capture here embodies the idea of imprison, or rather entomb, to utterly subjugate. As rogue and aberrant doctrines and ideas exalt themselves against the true knowledge of God, then they too must be entombed so that they no longer influence the people who are swayed by them. Our job is not just preaching Christ. Our first priority is destroying the strongholds that prevent them from coming to Christ. Effectively, they are inside of a walled city and telling them that you love them is not going to make the wall fall down. You need the word of God targeting the essence of what those strongholds are made of. Are you getting a sense of the, the sense of permanence of these objectives? 
the way in which if they are not carried out thoroughly and completely, these false strongholds, arguments, and lofty opinions revive themselves and go on to further enslave those who are under their control. This is precisely what Christ meant when he said you make them twofold more a child of hell than yourselves. In a very real sense, these are our military targets. Our objective is we need to take them out. Our job is to destroy the structural elements of empty religious philosophies, the lofty and ungodly speculation of fleshly doctrines, demonically fathered lies, and the resultant opinions which have no basis in reality whatsoever. This must come first. We are targeting the very rationale and thinking that makes up the arguments which continually hold vast populations of humanity in unbelief. The very systems of thought used by religious leaders when opposing the truth of God and his way of salvation. I think of all the Catholics and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists who all share a very common false spiritual stronghold. Do you know which one I'm referring to? Salvation through doing good works. The fortification of Jericho and its population represented a very real spiritual stronghold within the new boundaries of Israel. They along with their idolatrous spiritual leaders, had set themselves up against the true knowledge of God, probably going fat as far back as Noah. They existed by Satan's grace, along with many stronghold cities like them, to offer mankind another way to heaven, apart from the one true God. The false spiritual religious systems of this world are the same thing, only they are not physical walled cities. They are spiritual in nature. If Joshua, and you can put yourself in that, if Joshua had left Jericho intact, think about that, their idolatrous influence would have eventually corrupted and interfered with many souls in Israel coming to a true knowledge of God. And future generations seeking to know the Lord would have been enticed away by her false spiritual strongholds. Thankfully, Joshua left us a wonderful example of intercessory demolition. I know you've all heard about intercessory prayer. 
but I'd like to introduce a new phrase to your minds. Intercessory demolition. The obedient Christian is to be engaged in intercessory demolition, according to our text. God used Joshua to save a generation and generations that followed from the malaise that would have surely been unleashed had Jericho been spared. That's the risk you run, that when you are presenting the gospel and that you encounter strong spiritual strongholds and you don't remove them, they linger on to do damage to the person who believes it and to the people they influence. You'll remember how I said earlier that 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 and 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, were two sides of the same coin. Let me give you a practical example from my experience in Thailand of how I see these directives contained in these two texts working themselves out. Some months back, I had the opportunity to explain the gospel to an elder Buddhist man in a village near my house. We hadn't been talking long, and almost immediately as he began to speak, he declared that his hope of eternal life lied in a rigorous system of good works in payment for the bad things that he had done in the past. At times, I feel like I'm sitting across the table from Roman Catholics, but they're Buddhists. Upon hearing of this false spiritual stronghold, I immediately began to ready divine weapons to utterly destroy his hope in that false spiritual stronghold. I asked him, if he had ever done a 100% perfectly good work in all his life, to which he honestly confessed no. Then I launched the first of several divine weapons to utterly destroy his thinking. Isaiah 64, 6, which reads, we are all as an unclean thing, and our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. When he heard this, he visibly showed signs of concern. Do God's divine weapons work? I then said to him, if God declares that we are an unclean thing, and that even our good works are filthy, how can they ever hope to pay for our past sins? At this point, he was sufficiently weakened to ask me this. Well, how do you believe you can go to heaven? To which I responded, by God punishing Jesus for my sins. 
and he gasped. Do you see how on the one hand, I use God's divine weapons to first destroy the man's false spiritual stronghold, and on the other, I provided him with an even better everlasting stronghold? I didn't just destroy the system that he was believing in. I then replaced it with a better one. You never want to just use divine weapons to demolish false spiritual strongholds without right away pointing them to a superior, everlasting stronghold. In this case, this man was left asking himself this question. Which is better? God punishing me for my sins? Or God punishing Jesus for my sins? He also asked himself this question. Do I want to offer my imperfect good works on God's altar? Or would I do better by offering Jesus' good works on God's altar? At that point in the conversation, I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, stop talking. Let my word work now. But I was careful, by the grace of God, to first concentrate on demolishing the strongholds between his ears before I first introduced the everlasting stronghold that he needed to move to. Using 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, to destroy false spiritual strongholds and destroy false doctrine, and using 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, to rebuild using Christ and his works as the cornerstone is what God wants us to do. We simply have no business laying the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and him crucified until we have first removed the false spiritual strongholds to their very foundations. If God asked you to build a new house in the exact same spot as your existing house, what would you say to him? If you were honest, you would say, I can't. There's already one there. Exactly. First, you have to remove the old one in order to make room for the new one. If you remove, if you remember anything that I've said tonight, this morning, let it be this. First, destroy the old. First, destroy the old. First, destroy the old. Then, you can build the new. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I pray that you would renew our hearts, make us fervent in the use of your spiritual weapons. Let us not be tempted to fall away to the worthless and rudimentary elements of the world in building your church. I thank you as you've been training me in Thailand, and I thank you that you've been training many here. I pray that your word tonight would just bring us together as a single people, a single army, united on one front, following your direct orders, obediently following your direct orders, and watching you produce fruit for your glory. We trust you in this. We want to trust you in this. Help us to do so, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>